Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. Uh, Today we are going to celebrate... um, going public with your faith through water baptism. But before we do that, we are going to continue our series, Outsiders. And this is week two of this series, and we're finishing up Acts chapter 8 today. We were in Acts 8 last week, and Philip, who's um, sort of a disciple of the disciples of Jesus, he's part of the New Testament church in Acts, he's been going through Samaria ministering. And as we looked at last week, there were some amazing things that happened in his ministry in this sort of outsider region of Samaria. People are getting saved. They're being healed miraculously. People are having demons cast out. I mean, people are being filled with the Holy Spirit. Like, things are really happening in this region full of outsiders. But then Philip continues in his ministry, and it kind of takes him on a journey that we will um, talk about today. And as he's journeying, as he's ministering, he runs into an individual that we're going to look at today who we're going to describe as a unique eunuch. So that's who Philip runs into, and so we'll look at this person, a unique eunuch. So Philip takes a really, we're going to look at a four-step journey that he goes on here at the end of Acts chapter 8 that leads him to this person that then he leads to Jesus, and then the life change is signified through water baptism that we will celebrate here in just a few minutes. So we'll look at this unique eunuch, and the purpose of this four-step process of Philip is that we can follow this same four-step process in our lives. You can do exactly what Philip did and impact people for the gospel, lead them closer and closer to Jesus so their lives can be changed too. So the four steps, here's the first one, uh, and it's this, direction. Philip was directed by the Holy Spirit on what to do and where to go. Let's look at it, pick it up at Acts chapter 8, verse 26, and here's the direction that Philip gets from the Holy Spirit. Acts 8, 26. As for Philip... An angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Candake, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit then said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. So God gave Philip direction. First, an angel said, go from where you are to this other place down this road. And then when he gets to that place, he's like, okay, now what? And then he sees this random guy in a chariot, and the Holy Spirit then says, go by the chariot. And so sometimes what I think is interesting here about the direction Philip got is sometimes we're surprised where God directs us to go, and we can also be surprised about to whom God directs us to go. And we see both of those here in, in this story. So first, where? Philip, again, go back to last week. He's having major ministry success in Samaria. So I'm sure when an angel says, hey, leave this and go somewhere else, he's probably like, why? I'm killing it here. 
Things are amazing. Do you not see the results? The church is exploding. These outsiders are now insiders. It's reaching people that have never been reached before. This doesn't make any sense. I should just camp out here, and we're going to have a mega church in Samaria. Let's just keep rolling. But the Holy Spirit, this angel directed him, no, you can't stay. Even if it was confusing or surprising, he had him move on. And you would think, well, why would he direct him somewhere? Why would he go? Well, we don't quite know why, but here's what we do know. We know two things, or we can, we can pull two things from this, even though we don't know why the Holy Spirit directed him this way. We know, number one, if Philip did not follow the direction, he would be disobedient to what God wanted him to do in general. And we know from that, that flows from that, if he had said, you know what, God, I'm going to stay here. I'm just going to, I'm not going to do what you want, and I, I'd rather do this thing instead. He would be disobedient, and he would have missed this opportunity to meet this person that we'll see has a huge effect later on. So it didn't make sense on the surface for Philip why I'm, why I'm being directed this way or why this is happening this way, but he, by faith, obeyed, and then we see he was put in this spot to then meet kind of a surprising person. Let's look at this person for just a second. So first, this is an Ethiopian who is now in southern Israel. I got out Google Maps this week to confirm that's about a 2,500-mile gap between where he lives and where he finds himself. That's like from Phoenix to New York City. He's that far away from home. So this is a, he, he's clearly an outsider in many ways here in this region. He's de- definitely not a Jew, definitely not an Israelite. Like he's not even from this continent that we're on. So what's, what's going on with this person? So is he, he's an Ethiopian. But it goes on to say that he's the treasurer for the queen of Ethiopia. So he's a high-ranking government official. It says he has great authority. Now what's interesting is it says that the, this person, the, the queen, is... This version calls it Candake. Your version, you're reading, might say Candace, like the name Candace. It's just a difference in translation, but the, the Candace translation is weird because it's not her name. It's her title. So like Pharaoh is the leader of Egypt. Candace, or the Candake in this case, is the leader of Ethiopia. So it's a title. Sometimes you think, oh, Candace the queen. No, we don't know what her name was. We just know what her title is for that part of the world in that time. So uh, it's this Ethiopian official who's also a eunuch. Now, he mentions this, and so I'll, I'll briefly, if you don't know what that is, it's a castrated male, okay, is what a eunuch is. And the reason that he's castrated, he's a eunuch, is because he's serving a queen in ancient you know, time and place. So there are a couple reasons why this would be common for a male high-ranking government official to be a eunuch. One is there's, no, there, there's less of a chance of a coup from this person. If they can't have offspring, then there's less likelihood they're going to try to overthrow the person they're serving so that their descendants can then rule, okay? That's that's less likely to happen because there's not the outcome. The other part of that is many times these male servants would would protect the harem of a king, so women, or in this case, working in close proximity to a woman. And so then there's less impropriety possible if he's a eunuch. So just to give you some background on what that means and why it's important and what who cares, um, that's part of his description. So he is definitely sort of this outsider type of person. But here's the unique thing about this eunuch. That's why I call him the unique eunuch. Remember, he's 2,500 miles from where he's from, and it says here he went to Jerusalem to worship. So this Ethiopian, who is clearly not Jewish, not clearly not Christian at this point, he would be what Scripture would call a God-fearer. So he is an outsider to the faith, but he's curious. And I would say he's very curious. 
If you're going to travel by chariot through the desert for 2,500 miles, you're very curious about that thing you're going to find out about. It's not like there's, some, there's this circus in town. Hey, I want to check it out. You know, it's right out. It's in my neighborhood. No, you've got to travel this long of a distance. It's going to take you maybe weeks to travel to, to be curious. So he's very, very curious about his faith, which is an interesting factor about him. So we have this Ethiopian eunuch, high-ranking official who's curious about this new faith, who is, though, still an outsider. But Philip is directed from where he was to where he is for this outsider. It's very important. And just like God directed Philip, I believe that God will direct you and me. I believe he does that all the time. We may not always be aware that he's doing it or not, like Philip, not know why, but we can trust that God will direct us. The classic passage from the Old Testament, Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. God gives direction. Isaiah 30, verse 21 says, Your own ears will hear him. Right behind you, a voice will say, this is the way you should go, whether to the left, whether to the right or to the left. The Holy Spirit gives direction. And then Jesus promises to his disciples and then to us, the Holy Spirit will still give direction. John 16, 13, Jesus says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. Like Philip, God will direct you. But also like Philip, you may be surprised where God directs you, both from and to. Because maybe you're, you're sensing a direction in your life, and you're like, you know what? I'm really comfortable where I am right now. I don't want to change. I don't want to shift. I don't want to do that other thing. But... I'm feeling that. So maybe that's confusing for you. Maybe you're like, like Philip, I've had success doing what I'm doing, how I've been doing it for so long. I don't see any need to do that, but I'm getting this, this feeling like it's time to do something different. Or maybe the fear keeps you in there, like this is all I know. This is like, it's, maybe it's a job thing. Maybe it's a situation or personal thing in your life. This is all I know. This is all I can do. Like I feel that way about being a pastor. Like if I had any other, uh, you know, marketable skill, there are so many days that I would do anything else but what I'm doing, right? But God kind of hamstrung me here saying, I'm not going to give you any other skill except for what I want you to do so you don't have a way out. Um, and so I understand that this is all I know. So, but God says, you know, we're doing something different. Or maybe you just are like, well, this just feels right, but God says there's something better out there. Or I really want to, you know, continue this same route, but God is bringing change so maybe you're, you know, following God direction, God's direction, uh, or maybe you're not. But I would just encourage you, whatever kind of resistance you might have, just lean into the direction of the Holy Spirit, and he'll get you where you need to go. And maybe you're following his direction, but you're like, you know, like when Philip, we said at the beginning, when he first went down to Gaza, he's maybe looking around like, really? There's nothing here. What am I doing? Maybe you feel that way. Like, okay, God, I'm I've kind of gone where you want, and I'm doing what I think you want me to do. What's the deal? What's going on? Can you give me, like, the next step here? And he will, but sometimes we get too impatient or we aren't seeing what he wants. Sometimes we'll say, this is where you want? What's the purpose here? But the question is, will we still go where God directs? And so not only where he places us, but to whom he directs us sometimes is surprising. Maybe like Philip, God will put you in a path of a total stranger that you know he wants you to do something for or say something to, and that can be weird. Like, 
Okay, that's really random, God, that you've popped this person in here from nowhere, but for a reason. Maybe it's not a stranger, but it's a person that you're estranged from, and God's wanting to reconnect you with that person to make a difference in their life, and that can be difficult. That can bring up a lot of scars that you've dealt with this person about, and you're like, I don't think I can do that, God, but if he's directing you there, it's for a purpose and a reason. Maybe he's directing you to make a difference in a coworker's life, and so maybe you're thinking, well, are they even interested in what I have to say? Are they, are they open to faith? Is this not going to make things weird if we kind of get into this spiritual stuff, you know? But if God's leading you, directing you to that person, may we be obedient. Maybe, here's another thing that we overlook, which is why I'm mentioning it, maybe he's going to lead you to a family member or a close friend that you just kind of overlooked that relationship or that opportunity to make a difference in their lives and get them closer to Jesus. Because we can just think, well, I've talked to them a million times, and this never comes up. Or we've talked about faith, and I know that they don't agree. I know they don't want to have, have anything to do with this. But why, God, why are you putting them on my mind over and over and over again? Why are you telling me and, and directing me toward them? I don't know why. You may not know why, but God always has a plan and a purpose. He has purpose for a direction in your life. So may we push past the fear, overcome objections, just take a risk like Philip and follow God's direction. And then from that direction comes the second step in his journey, and that's simply a discussion. God directed Philip to a place, to a person, for a purpose, which was just simply a discussion. Continue on in the story, Acts 8, verse 30. So Philip's by the the chariot, says he ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you are reading? The man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of scripture he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Then the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. Philip simply had a discussion with this man. It was simple, but as we'll see, it was profound. And I say simple because he just did some simple things that we can do. We can all have discussions very similar to this in our own experience. It's not unique to Philip just because he's in the Bible, right? The Bible is instructive for us that we can do the same things that Philip did and see God bring about the same results. Simple things he did. He started, he broke the ice with the question, do you understand what you're reading? Simple thing, break the ice. He made a connection for the, for the eunuch. So the eunuch is reading something. He's confused. I see this thing and this thing. How do they connect? Philip connects the dots for him. Simple connection in this discussion. He also made it personal and relatable to this man. Because if you'll notice, he doesn't come up and say, hey, I know you don't understand. Let me just tell you what this means. He lovingly says, hey, do you, do you understand what that is? He starts very personal, very loving, and relatable, and then explains it on a level that clearly this man can understand. We don't know anything, which we'll get to in a minute. We don't know anything about the specifics of the discussion except for him reading the scripture from Isaiah 53 and then asking, who's who's it about? And then they have a longer discussion that results in a decision that we'll get to in a minute. But it starts with a personal, relatable approach, clarifying questions to lead this person down the right way. And ultimately, this simple discussion is a spiritual discussion. 
Because the greatest need this man has, his curiosity is not about the government in Israel. It's not about this social issue or this personal question or this need that I have. He has a spiritual desire. He has spiritual curiosity. And Philip zooms in on that and says, that's your greatest need. Let's go there. And so we can do the same thing. We, we can look for those opportunities as God leads you to people. Maybe they are talking about a personal issue. Find a spiritual angle to get Jesus into that conversation. Now, that's going to sound a little salesy, and I struggle with that myself. Um, I'm probably not even as vocal about my faith as I should be because I'm like, I don't want to be like the used car sales guy. You know, he's the Jesus guy. Stay away from him. He's going to, hey, I've got a deal for you. You know, it's not, that's not what the gospel is. And sometimes it can feel that way. We can talk ourselves out of a great opportunity, but it is. I want to relate to them, but I want to relate on a spiritual level. I want to relate, and I want to help them with their issue, but their issue is not this, it's this down here. Or the, the, the solution to their problem is not this surface thing, it's a spiritual thing. So the, the easier that we can see that and the more willing we are to go there, the better these discussions will go to get to that spiritual result that really is the ultimate need. The greatest need is a spiritual need for Christ. And as I mentioned a second ago, sometimes we can be very intimidated about these discussions. We even talk ourselves out of it if we're not careful. Because here's a couple reasons why. We might feel, I'm not qualified to have this discussion. I don't know enough, and I don't feel prepared. Or we, on the other hand, can feel the pressure to change their life in one discussion. I've got to fix all their problems, and I've got to get them on their knees begging Jesus to save them. And if I don't do it in the next 10 minutes, it's not going to work. You know? And so we feel this pressure either way. But there's a quote that's attributed to the 4th century um, church father, St. Augustine, he, he said it this way. He says, work as if the results depend entirely upon you. Pray as if the results depend entirely upon God. Work as if the results depend entirely upon you. Pray as if the results depend entirely upon God. Let's look at both those parts for just a second as we talk about pushing through objections to these types of discussions. So work. If you feel ill-prepared to have these discussions, I don't know enough, and, you know, I don't know the Bible, and I don't have Scripture memorized, and I, I'm inexperienced. Like, and it's not like maybe you're like I'm not a young person, but I'm a young Christian, and I just, you know, or whatever. Or maybe you are a young person, and you're like I don't have enough life experience to talk to this person that's twice my age, and I just don't. I just can't, I can't, I can't. So in one way, let's see this as a challenge to grow in our faith. See, I don't feel like I know enough. Well, I want to learn more then. And the more that I learn, the more that I know that I don't know. And so I want to learn more. And the, and the closer I get to Jesus, the more that I want to know even more. And it's not so that I can impress some person with my Bible trivia knowledge. It's so that I can be spiritually, more spiritually prepared to meet that need and get them closer to Jesus. Because what happens is, if we don't take this obstacle as a challenge, it becomes an excuse. Because I constantly am given the same excuse, well, I don't know enough, and I, I'm not experienced enough, and I feel inadequate. Well, are you learning anything? Are you growing in your faith? Are you studying the scripture for yourself? Are you doing some self-feeding? Is there, uh, you know, some evidence that you're drawing closer to Christ? Is there fruit in your life that you're going the right direction? If not, take that as a challenge instead of an excuse. We see this with Jesus in John 14, 26. He says, when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I've told you. Those two phrases are important here to overcome this objection. I don't know enough. Well, he says the Holy Spirit's going to teach you, but that means we have to be open to learn and grow and develop in our faith. He says he will remind you. Well, that means that I should have a 
knowledge base to draw from to have these types of conversations. I should have enough awareness of the Holy Spirit that I will allow him to speak through me to minister to this person in these discussions. And so if I'm not growing myself and I lack the motivation to grow, I'm not going to make the impact that God desires me to make. And that's just how it is. So that's the work part. Work, grow. I'm not saying do works for salvation, so don't misunderstand. I'm saying do the work of growing yourself so then we can do what God calls us to do more adequately. But then pray as if all the results depend upon God because they do. So if you've put all this pressure on yourself, I've got to make the perfect sales pitch, and I've got to have all the answers, and I've got to solve all their problems, and I've got to get them to a decision about Jesus right now, that's not your job. That's not my job. There, so take that pressure off yourself. You pray as if the results depend entirely upon God because they do. But if we put this pressure on ourselves, of course you're going to be reluctant to have these discussions with people. I would be too. Uh, if I thought I had to save them, well, I've never saved anybody, so I'm probably not going to start now. So, of course, I'm going to pull back from these interactions and discussions, but I got, we've got to take that pressure off. It's the res, we're not in the results business. God sends us, and then he saves people, right? That, those are two different things. So please don't let that be a struggle with you that, oh, I've got to get the results. No, you don't. You're sent. God saves. Okay? But if we can have that mindset, I'm going to grow and develop in my faith. I'm going to, by faith, interact and have discussions with people. And if you don't know, you can say you don't know. Hey, that's a great question. I'll get back to you on that. That's a great question. I'll connect you with somebody else. That's a great question. I'll, I'll study it. I'll ask pastor, and I'm probably not going to know the answer to that question either, so I'm going to study and ask somebody else too. It's like a chain, you know, until we figure out what's going on and what the best course of action is or whatever it might be, okay? So if we can have this sort of work and pray mentality, I think we can have many more and more meaningful discussions with people around us every day. Then the third step in this journey is the most interesting one, and I'll tell you why in a second, but the third step is decision. So we have direction, discussion, and now a decision. So this is the most important step of all four. This Ethiopian eunuch makes a decision for Christ in this story. What's unique about it, though, is it's not actually listed in detail in the story at all. There is no verse that says he was saved. There's no part of this story that says he received, he put his faith in Jesus. There's none of that in here. We know that he did because the next step that we'll get to in a moment and what we'll celebrate in a moment as well is he was baptized in water. And so we know the biblical model is belief in Christ and then the symbol of water baptism. That's how it goes. And just to give you a couple of uh, well, there's really three examples here we'll look at for just a second, just to show the connection. Faith in Christ that saves first, and then the symbol of water baptism that comes after, okay? So Acts 2.38, the day of Pentecost, Peter replied after his sermon, each of you must repent of your sins, turn to God, and be baptized. See the order there? In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then three verses later, Acts 2.41, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. Belief precedes water baptism. Uh, that's, that's the model. Even though we don't see, that's why I'm pointing this out for a second. We don't see that this man 
get prayed a prayer in this story. We don't see that. We don't see even the word. There's not like a verse in there, you know, missing asterisk with the verse. Yeah, he prayed the sinner's prayer. We don't see that, but we know it happened because of what happens next. And we know that Philip's already followed this model, belief and then baptism. Acts 8, verse 12, we looked at it last week. Now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. You see, it's not they were baptized and as a result they were saved. It's they were saved. As a result, the next step was baptism to affirm outwardly the inward work that had happened in them. And then one more example, Jesus makes it clear when he commissions us to go unto all the world and preach the gospel. Matthew 28, 19, he says, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So there's the belief and then the baptism. So um, it's not mentioned here in detail, but it's important um, that we see that. And here's why I think we can, here, we can draw from that really quickly, is this decision he made was the best decision he'd ever made and ever would make, is to start that relationship with Christ. But it's not there. It's kind of just like a little blip that we assume that we know that happened. Maybe your salvation story is the same way. Maybe, you know, some people have these dramatic stories. I was strung out on drugs, living on the street, and I was out of my mind, and God saved me miraculously. And I love those stories. But that may not be your story. That's not this guy's story. It didn't, it didn't even in the Bible. It's so just normal, mundane, you know. Yeah, I was curious, and then this guy explained the scripture and talked about Jesus, and I said, yeah, let's, let's follow Jesus. Right? That's sort of something I struggled with for a long time. I came to Christ at the age of, I was almost seven, still age of six. I never had like this story. I rebelled, and I went away. I don't have a prodigal son story. I kind of just, you know, stayed close and never had that thing, and here I am, right, 30 years later, still serving Jesus. And so it's like, man, that's really boring. Who's that going to impact, right? That's, no one wants to hear that story. They want to hear the druggie on the street story, so I guess I could make that up, you know, like, a, like I'm a stand-up comedian. Yeah, you know, that one time, you know. So, but no, I, that's not my story. And so for a long time, I struggled with, uh, it's pro- ministry's probably not for me because I'm not relatable. And I would say if you struggle with that, here's the deal. No matter how sinful you think you were or what you had done or not done, we're all equally sinners in the eyes of a holy God. So you were just as sinful as the worst person you can think of before you met Jesus. And you were just as in need of Jesus as anybody else ever has been. No matter what your story is. You know, I'm kind of boring. My story's kind of boring too. Doesn't matter. You were a sinner on your way to hell, condemned in your sin by God, judged by God, the wrath of God can be poured out on you, and Jesus died for you too. And so you're just as saved as anybody else. Your story doesn't have to be like this explosive thing. If it is, praise God, tell everyone your story and point to Jesus and all of that. But if it's kind of like, you know, I was just kind of living my life and doing my own thing, but you were still a terrible sinner apart from God. Like, that's the point. And so we can still kind of overcome that as I think this story illustrates that point. No matter what the details are or are not, Jesus still saved you, still loves you, and still wants you to live for him. Um, and then one other thing here that we see from this that sometimes I hear, when it, we'll get to baptism in a second as we close. Sometimes people ask me, well, I, I just have so many questions. Should I get baptized? Should I wait and get baptized later? And, you know, I'm just not really sure. Like, I know I know I am a Christian now, but I still am not perfect, and I just don't, I'm trying to figure stuff out. It's like, as we'll see in a second, there's like no time. He sees water, let's get in that thing, you know? Um, so in your, in your life of faith, you're still going to struggle. We, salvation does not make you perfect. 
That's why we're constantly in need of God's grace. That's why the cross saves our sin, past, present, future. That's why we need that assurance in our heart that Christ has done the work and I just keep putting my faith in him, keep putting my faith in him. You're not always going to have every answer. You're not always going to have everything figured out. You're not always going to act perfectly in every way, but that's okay. We're all a work in progress. This is a, this is a journey that we're on. Even after that decision, still come, it's just day one of the rest of your life in Christ. And so I think that the absence of anything in there being the most important part of the story, I think, speaks volumes. And so that's why we wanted to kind of, I want to touch on that for just a minute. That this is a lifelong journey of faith that started with that decision. Let's look at the final step here just for a second. The fourth step and what we're going to celebrate here in just a moment. So we have direction, discussion, decision, and then dunk. Okay, that's how I described this, this last one. I mean, you, you know. There's other words I could have used. That's the one that came to mind. So that's what we went with. Dunk is the final uh, part here. Let's read the rest of the story. Acts 8, pick it up at verse 36. As they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north in the town of Azotus. He preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. And then later in Acts, I think it's Acts 21 or 22, Philip, years later, is still in Caesarea doing ministry, doing great things. So he goes there and he's there for a long time. So the fourth step here is dunk. As we saw at the end, there's an extra fifth step, and that's disappearance. Because after they come out of the water, Philip is gone. And he finds himself miles away in a totally different town. That's not super relatable, so it's not a point we're going to focus on. I just want to mention that it's there. And it's kind of weird, but it's kind of cool, I think, anyway, that God did that that way. So direction, discussion, decision. And then the, the very next step, the eunuch, again, not knowing hardly anything about faith, just knew the next thing is to declare openly my new faith. He sees a, I don't know how big the body of water, may, it may have been that big, right? He, however big it was, hey, we can fit in there. Let's dunk me. Let's do this thing. Let's declare, I want to declare openly I've made this decision. And so they go through with this water baptism. And it really, so let me just discuss for a second really the purpose and the power of water baptism before we look at it and celebrate it today for a minute. And then we'll celebrate and worship afterward. The purpose and power of water baptism is it symbolizes outwardly the inward work that Christ has done in saving us. It's not the water that saves us. It's not the act that saves us. It's the sign that I'm already saved, that I'm already a believer in Jesus. I'm outwardly declaring that to everyone. Two scriptures as we wrap it up. 1 Peter 3.21, Peter says it exactly this way. And that water is a picture of baptism which now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Sometimes there's confusion with this verse, you know, a picture of baptism that saves you. Again, he's not saying that water baptism saves anyone. He's saying that the, the death and resurrection of Jesus has done that work already, and this water is a picture, really, of the baptism of Jesus, not his water baptism, but his death and resurrection. So this is kind of why we, and the other verse we'll look at too in a second, is why we here do baptism by immersion under the water, dead like Christ was dead, and then raised to life in Christ. We see it here in Colossians 2.12, for you were buried with Christ under the water. When, and we're not going to hold you that long, don't worry, okay? Uh, you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life 
because you tr because you trusted past tense already done the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. So buried in Christ, raised buried with Christ, raised to new life in Christ. So that that explains kind of the the why, the why behind the what there. Um, and so this, this dunking part is a celebration for anyone who is now in Christ. It's an announcement that I'm now, I now belong to Jesus. I'm not perfect. I'm not, you know, special. I just belong to him. I've surrendered everything to him. It's a public declaration. I'm following Jesus. I've given my life over to him. I'm surrendering to him. I'm going to do the best I can to live for him. What an exciting moment in the life of this Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8. And today as we celebrate uh, this life change, this experience through water baptism, what an exciting moment for us to celebrate that today. So before we, before we dunk, uh, let's pray this morning. God, we thank you for this story in Scripture that uh, still inspires us today. It, it happened a couple thousand years ago in, in southern Israel, but it still is effective and it is instructive for us today. And so, God, we thank you for direction. We know that you led Philip exactly where you wanted him to go to exactly that, who you wanted him to go to. So thank you for direction for him and for us. God, we know by faith that you have a purpose and a plan, and you have direction. We know that you want to lead us and guide us exactly where you want us to go to make an impact and to lead us to the right people at the right place at the right time to impact them for the gospel. And so I pray today that we would follow your direction. We, yes, there's going to be fear. There's going to be unknown. There's going to be questions, but help us to push past those things and follow you anyway, your direction. And help us as we have that direction to have those discussions with people that, again, we're just doing our best to lead people closer to Jesus. We're not in the results business. We can't save anyone. All we can do is just strike up a simple conversation. All we can do is tell them our story, our experience, how Jesus impacted my life in my own way and have those discussions with people that hopefully will eventually lead to that decision for them. We trust you you will do the saving work. We trust you that you will lead them to yourself. We trust your convicting power that you will help them to sense the need they have for you at some point. May we do the work as if it depends on us and pray as if it depends on you to reach that decision for you. And then we thank you as we're going to celebrate here in just a second um, this declaration through this dunking, this declaration of faith. I'm a new person in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. I'm dying to my old self and I'm saying yes to Jesus. I've already made that decision, but now through this representation in water, I'm going to declare to everyone that Jesus is now my Savior and my Lord. Thank you for salvation through Jesus. Thank you for this day that we can celebrate uh, the outward symbol of life change and celebrate as a faith family together this morning. And I thank you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen.